0: Coming to you via the internet and your friends at PipesMagazine.com, it's the Pipes Magazine Radio Show, the show with the host that's been wearing his baby New Year costume for four days now without changing that diaper. Now I invite you to sit back, relax, the smoking lamp is lit, here's your host, Brian Levine. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Pipes Magazine radio show, yes, the sometimes irreverent, sometimes educational, but always entertaining weekly pipe smoking broadcast, and I'm your host, Brian Levine. It's a cold January morning that I'm recording this show on, and this week's episode, we get uh, a Ask the Blender with Jeremy Reeves and Pipe Parts. And then uh, my guest is Rich Esserman again, and we, uh, Rich and I cover a couple of questions, and thank you very much to Rich for jumping in and doing this, because I uh, had a scheduling error with, a, uh, with this week's intended guest, and uh, Rich was able to jump in cause, uh, and give us some fresh commentary and do a uh, question and answer with Rich, so thank you very much to him. Uh, music, mailbag rant, all the usual stuff coming up on this week's episode of the Pipes Magazine Radio Show. And remember, please keep sharing out the Pipes Magazine Radio Show wherever you are, uh, just like uh, Miguel does on a regular basis, so thank you very much to him. And uh, keep sharing it out there. Keep sharing it out there, yep. And iTunes ratings and reviews are much, much, much appreciated. So, alright, anybody break a resolution already? Yeah? No? Okay. Anybody make any resolutions already? No. Okay. All right. We've got an extra long show, so let's get it rolling. So everybody sit back, relax, fire up a bowl. Thank you all for tuning in, and here we go.
1: There's nothing quite like hunting at dawn or smoking my genuine Missouri corn corncob pipe, an American legend since 1869. It's the coolest, smoothest pipe I've ever owned. Check them out at corncobpipe.com.
0: We are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show and joining us for a Ask the Master Blender. Ask the Blender. I don't have one name for this, but it's Jeremy Reeves. Jeremy, welcome back.
2: Oh, thank you so much. Happy to be here. All
0: right. So Al asks, here's your questions. Uh, Part one. I was gifted some whole tobacco leaves from Kentucky. They are hung dry, not smoky, and I'm 100% positive they are not cased. Not sure of the leaf type though. What would you recommend for the do-it-yourselfer to go about rehydrating and casing? Also, what ratio of sugar and or honey or pectin to distilled water for the casing would you suggest? Wow, there is a lot of I don't know in there, but go ahead.
2: Okay. Um, So, first of all, let's think about what the tobacco probably is if it's not smoky then it's not dark fired and it came from kentucky so it could only be dark fired or burly of some variety um there's really not any other kind of leaf that is grown in kentucky uh unless you got this from a from a home grower in which case that that could be any kind of tobacco but If it was more than first generation, it's still going to be more like Burley than it is anything else because that's just what grows there, Um, and so you're going to have elements of the uh, the terroir that have actually worked their way into the genetics of a second or third or fourth generation tobacco grown in the same area. Um, It's the reason that to this day uh, we can't produce Oriental tobacco. In this country, and we continue to import from Turkey in the surrounding region because we just can't replicate what the tobacco does there. Yep, we've tried growing tobacco in the high deserts of California. We've got, tried growing tobacco in Nevada. Um, you know, RJ Reynolds has put millions of dollars into trying to grow Oriental-style tobacco somewhere on U.S. soil. And it never works because we can't recreate the environment that produces oriental tobacco. So um, my guess would be that what you've got is some kind of burly. Um Look at the color of the tobacco, and if it's more of a buff color, um, kind of a lighter tan color, then you're probably looking at a light air-cured uh, or what we would call white burley. Um, you'll, you'll see uh, some white coloration to the stems and to the, uh, to the veins. If it is a darker, more like chocolate brown color, and if it has kind of an aroma to it that reminds you maybe of uh, if you made really strong, unsweetened hot chocolate and then added a little bit of uh, clove and a little bit of cayenne to it, imagine what that might smell like if you've got tobacco that kind of smells that way then you've probably got some dark air cured that has gone through a secondary fermentation process and is dark burly so knowing whether or not it's light air cured white burly or dark air cured dark burly um is going to help you kind of figure out your next step, which is what you want to case this with. If it's white burly, I would recommend starting off with something that is uh, heavily molasses or cocoa um, in, in terms of the flavor profile that you want your casing to be. And as far as rehydrating, you're going to use your casing to do that. I would also recommend using some high-proof alcohol that is neutral in flavor. So think neutral grain spirits. Uh, Everclear is a great carrier. Vodka is a great carrier, but you want higher proof than, than vodka, or at least most vodkas. Um, If you can get a hundred proof vodka, that'll do you a little better. The higher proof just helps things to, to penetrate deep into the leaf and leave the flavor behind quickly because the alcohol is going to penetrate deeply because the molecule is smaller than water and able to uh, adhere To the molecules of the tobacco um, More quickly, but then it's also going to dry off more quickly And so you'll have less time just waiting for the tobacco to dry back down than you will if you just use distilled water Um, so using distilled water works but you're not going to get the kind of flavor penetration that you want. And you're not going to get the kind of dry time that you actually want. If you want to case this properly, you want to use a high proof alcohol as your carrier. Um, And then I would look to things like molasses or things like cocoa uh, to be your flavorants. And you can use, you can use cocoa powder. You can use Hershey's chocolate syrup um, and mix that into your alcohol. As far as the proportions, I recommend to you experiment 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 um (laughs) we have our own proportions that we use on things i'm not going to divulge those we've come by we've come by these things through you know time and effort and and uh and research and involved work and uh other other manufacturers have done the same thing and they make different casings than we do Um, so my best suggestion to you would be use a small amount of leaf and experiment with your proportions of your sweetener to your alcohol. And then once you find something that really tastes the way that you want it to, then figure out what those proportions are, write it down and, and use that.
0: Well, and even if you told him what your, what, what your proportions were, it wouldn't matter because he doesn't have your, your equipment to apply it.
2: Well, that's true, but uh, our equipment for applying casing isn't very specialized. It's something that, you know, pretty much anybody doing this at home would also be doing. You'd be using a spray bottle. We use larger spray bottles. Um, you know, we actually use, like, a, a pump can um, to, to apply this stuff so that we can get a fine mist. And you can do the same thing at home. Just go to, you know, Home Depot and buy yourself uh, the kind of pump canister like you would use to apply weed killer or something Mm -hmm. and then just mark it clearly that it is for food grade products only so that you don't ever have the problem of like wait a (laughs) second did this have roundup in it Um, and and keep that stored separately from any any kinds of chemicals like that that you would ever use at a pump canister
0: and when you're when you're mixing this stuff, I mean, you got to mix that up pretty good so that it all dissolves into each other equally and and gets into a liquid form so that you can right. shoot it through that. Um, That's right. And then you've got to use like some sort of stainless steel bowl or something to spray into so that it doesn't go wandering off. Um, right. And and then don't do what I do and use your yard your your, uh, sh- the shears that I use for shrubs to try to cut tobacco with. Cause that's a very long, <laughs> tedious process.
2: That's right. That's right. Um, as far as home cutting options, there aren't a lot out there. There are a few, um, I've tried several of them. I've had eh, fair to midland results. Uh, you're never going to get a really, really great shred, um, or, or ribbon cut without some sort of cutting implement um, and a way to make a cheese, which is what we call tobacco that has been compressed to a point that you can actually run a blade across it and it slices nicely. <laughs>
0: um, so you might, you might suggest he press this first and then use a little cheese cutter to, to kind of run the wire through it. and
2: Yeah. Um, I don't know how, how good a cut you're going to get with a wire cutter. Um, you could, you could take a blade and put it on a, on a, uh, on a press, um, like a hydraulic press, but just put a blade on the end of your piston. Um, that can, that can work. It's slow. Um, but that way you'd be able to, you know, bring the blade down, make your cut, raise it move the block of tobacco a little bit and bring it back down again and cut again. Um, there aren't a lot of really great cutting options for the home blender.
0: Yeah. Do not try the, uh, the $20 coffee blender or coffee grinder. Cause all that really does is just, it works great if it's already cut and you want to cut it up even finer, but it'll clump <laughs> and it'll, That's right. and then you have one coffee grinder that is just for tobacco, which I do um yep yeah or the other option is just a cutting board and you just sit there with a with a really good knife and go at it very slowly and tediously until you cut it but you've got to make sure and get the casing right first that's right i think that's a perfect place to uh, to end that question because (laughs) <laughs> now I'm picturing people without fingers and wives that are mad about them using spray bottles and their cutting boards and stuff. So <laughs> I, I, I'm just imagining my wife mad at me for that. So, so there you go, <laughs> Jeremy, thank you again.
2: Oh, thank you so much. Happy to be here.
0: And we'll be back in just a minute. This is internet radio.
2: A Savonelli pipe is a testament to a long legacy. Fortified by well worn hands and destined to be enjoyed for generations. For over 150 years, Savinelli has been dedicated to sourcing the world's finest briar, committed to pushing the boundaries of pipe design, and devoted to the tradition of Italian pipe making. Savinelli is more than a mark, they're a way to help you make your mark. And like you, there can only be one Savinelli.
0: Ooh, we are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show, and joining us again is uh, the big guy himself, Richard Esserman. Rich, I'm glad they didn't shorten your name to Dick, because then you'd be the big pipe guy anyway. Um, Rich, welcome back to the show.
3: Hey, you know, Brian, and that nickname, by the way, <laughs> I was was when I was a kid growing up, that was an in-name to be called. I, I, hey. My high school, my my when I was in grade school, my hero was a guy who lived right next door. He was, he probably was in uh, say high school or junior high or something like that. His name was uh, Dick Rott, and that was a name you wanted. That's the name you wanted to be called at the time. That was a very so you know, you got to be careful, Brian, what you say.
0: Times have changed. That's all I got to say. Um, used to be able to smoke a pipe in the maternity ward too. Uh, you're right. Yeah. So we got, we got some topics and, uh, thanks again to everybody that sent them in, we've got plenty of, you know, just keep sending them in. That's all I gotta say. Uh, we got we got a bunch of them. Uh, here's, here's the one that, uh, so Jason Smith wrote in and, uh, Jason, I met at the Columbus pipe show and he, he, this is interesting. And I I had to think about this for a while, and you haven't had a chance, so here you go. Uh, He says, I know Rich as the big pipe guy, and Brian is the recovering black sandblasted Lovat guy with a Sato crutch, Uh, but from personal and observational experience, how often do you see guys turn over their collections? Personally, I've gone from factory to smaller, newer artisan and workshop pipes to more high-end pipes. Uh, it seems like the Internet has accelerated this curve, but curious if either of you have known of collectors that have completely deviated from their collections to start a new collection endeavor. How's that for a question?
3: <laughs> wow, that's actually a great question. Yeah it's something that's always on the minds of many people that I talk to. Yeah. A lot, a lot has to do with, and we were just talking about this uh, re- before the, uh, we got on the show. Um, a lot of, a lot of this has to do with, with, um, you know, things change, things mm-hmm. change. And so for instance, when I think back, I, I, I know a fellow now who is, um, he's really into pipes. He's been into pipes for about five or six years. And he, He makes a fairly good living, so he's able to get a lot of different pipes. So he has a lot of different makers. And, you know, he's gotten rid of some pipes, and he's always trying new stuff out. Uh, And, I, I, you know, I told him, I said, that's a great thing to do at this stage of of the game, to, to really look for different things and try different things, because you don't know. I mean, it took me a number of years before I started to figure out. I mean, I always knew I liked bigger pipes. But what bigger pipes? Which brands did I like? What, what didn't I like? And you got to experiment around. And I, I will say, even now, I know people that have, that have changed their collections over. They've been smoking for 30, 35 years. And all of a sudden one day, they wake up and they say, I want to do something else. I mean, my great friend, was on with us, said Lehman, he and I collected the almost identical brands for many years seven alley autographs we're talking about now going back 40 years and other and other and other pipes and then one day he said to me rich you know what i'm going to start collecting Daniels." <laughs> he said you know if you can't change in your hobby what you want to do what's the point of it and he's absolutely correct yeah what's the point and so you can do whatever you wish i mean and i and again you're going to find out as you as you go along that pipes that you love we're the best pipe that ever lived. Sometimes they just lose interest. Now I have friends who don't like to really sell their pipes. They have a lot of pipes and they just keep them for some reason. They don't have the, they don't, they don't do it. They don't sell it. It bothers them to like sell their pipes. Um, But me, on the other hand, I look at it this way. There are certain pieces that come along that, you know, I may need the money or whatever it is, or they, or they're much better than the piece that I have. Right. And you know what? I don't want that other piece now. I got a much better piece. So it's a, it's a common thing. Again, it's all about your mindset. If you're comfortable saying, you know what? These old pieces, they're not for me anymore. Just get rid of them. See if you can sell them. See if you can turn them around. You sell them to a dealer. Or you sell them to a, a, a uh, whatever. You know, friends, you go to pipe shows, you put them on the table. And then you use that money to buy new stuff because really, to me, about pipe collecting, it's all about how much emotional value does the pipe have for you. It's the emotional value. If I look at a piece, and it can be the greatest piece, and I don't really want to smoke it anymore, why should I have it in my collection? I think that's the approach that a lot of people take, and I have a lot of friends who do that.
0: Yeah, and I I think the other thing that Jason talked about in there is his His journey as, you know, somebody who's been, who's newer, newer than both of us uh, is, is, it's almost a standard, uh, it's kind of a standard collector's journey where when you get into a, you know, I I know some people that hate when I call this a hobby, you know, they want to call it a lifestyle. When you get into pipe smoking, when you first start out, the first thing out of the gate is not going to be a high end pipe. Yeah, we all are, you know, we all started off somewhere. The lucky ones started off with Savinelli Peterson, Dunhill Costello. The rest of us started off below that. Um, But those that really catch, you know, that it really catches on to, I think we all end up at some point wanting to move up from where we started. Um, I think we start to read and learn more and more about a hobby itself and we start listening to podcasts because we're crazy uh but we you know we all start getting more and more information and as you learn more and more you want to refine yourself more and more and i and i guess the the uh, you know the the commonality that i see in people that collect other things is the smarter the the smarter people do the research at the beginning and do a lot of learning and then jump in and still have a place to go afterwards, but the rest of us jump in at a lower level and end up buying some things that don't work out and trying stuff and trying this and that. But for some reason we stick with it and we end up growing, you know, faster and more furious. Um, but have you ever so? And then when he when he talked about somebody turning over their collection, um, you know, mine matured because I was exposed more and more to the artisan pipes, because prior to going to work at smoking pipes, I really had I had limited exposure to them, except at pipe shows. You know, by 2009, I had a couple I had five or six J.T. Cooks and and a couple other things, but you know, in reality, everything was, he's, he's right. Everything was, everything was long and long and sandblasted. Um, I'm, I guess, um, along the lines of JT cook, I also remember watching, uh, watching Bob Noble who had Dunhill, Sheraton, Barling, Ashton pipes, and he basically sold all that off and built up a collection of JT cook pipes
3: he did. In fact, uh, I think I was probably one of the reasons why he did that, <laughs> was because I was right. He came back into the hobby in the late 90s, and he came to my pipe show, and we sat down and talked for a while, and, and uh, he, he, he had a couple of cooks, and I started to write about it in the ephemeris, that Bob Noble had all these cooks, <laughs> and then he became known as a cook guy, yeah, as opposed to just a standard bulldog guy, and he got rid of a lot of things. I mean, I have friends who have sold off pipes and you say you know you sold that one off but for them it wasn't working i mean there's no rule book that's going to tell you that you're really going to love this particular pipe i mean i just like i say i recently uh in the the, not recently but in the fall of last year i uh, you know a dealer came across this i don't know if it was one collection or two whatever came across all these giant pipes They were great. And um, some of them, I mean, they were brands that I liked and collected, but, you know, they were different than what I had. And I said, you know what, i got to get these pipes. And so some of my pipes that I've been around for a long time, they had to go because I needed to get the cash for them for these new ones. And that's not unusual or uncommon. And I'm sure of the group that I got, a year from now, there's going to be some pipes that are going to turn out to be, well, you know, they're all right. And then something else is going to come along, and that's it. I'm going to get rid of those pipes. And and the thing is, you got to you got to make sure of one thing, though. You've got to make sure that you don't get rid of pipes that you really are going to regret. And that's a hard thing to do sometimes, where, you know, you, it's just not what you want to do right now, and you just get rid of it. you got to be very careful. And I always say to myself, is this a pipe that I'm ever going to pick up again and smoke? Mm-hmm. You know, may, more than once. And if it isn't, then I know, I let it sit for a little bit. So what I do is I I collectively have a, a, a list in my mind of pipes that are potentials that I might let go. So when the time comes, I know that those are the pipes. I've thought about them. I'm pretty sure I'm not going to be missing them, and I can let them go.
0: Do you ever see yourself in the future for any reason saying, you know what? I'm done with all these big dumb pipes. I'm only going to collect, uh, small bent bulldogs and bent brandies.
3: Um, again, that's an interesting question because yeah, I I thought about it at one point. Most people don't realize that I had, I had a small, I had a collection of smaller pipes. Mm Mm-hmm. Along with my larger ones, um, because I used to live in a place where I could go home. I was five minutes away from my office in upstate New York, and I could go home and smoke during lunch. <laughs> so I'd smoke a bowl during lunch. And so you got to have a small pipe for that. And I'm a fast smoker. And I loved it. My favorite one was a Dunhill DR, one star, bent Rhodesian. That was beautiful. Oh, man. <laughs> and and uh, i got rid of them when i moved because when i moved down to to um this area here in new jersey near new york city um i couldn't smoke during lunch i had no need for any of these smaller pipes and so they they went and i just found myself smoking in the evenings when i came home from work so i wanted to have a bigger uh a bigger bowl to smoke and you know That's that's what that's what I enjoyed. So, but could I see myself going back? Um, Probably not, because (laughs) you know I'm in a nice rhythm here where I like to smoke and really enjoy the taste of the tobacco. If I smoke too many times during the day, my tongue—I can feel it on my tongue. You know, losing losing the taste. It's like I remember um, the guy we know, Fred Hanna. Yep. who was a wine taster or whatever it was. He said, you know, there's a certain point in the wine tasting where you can't taste the wine anymore because you're <laughs> tasting so much. And so to me, if I was to smoke, I'd go back, a, I'd have to smoke two, three, four, or five times a day to get that same amount of, and it probably won't happen.
0: Tell you what, let's take a break here and rest our tongues, and when we come back. We got uh, got more questions from you all for me and Rich, so stay with us. We'll be back in just a minute. I'm Jeremy Reeves, head
1: blender of Cornell and Deal Pipe Tobacco Company. Since 1990, Cornell and Deal has been producing high quality pipe tobacco expertly blended by hand using time-honored methods, unique recipes, and no small amount of innovation. One example of such innovation is our bestseller Autumn Evening. We start with whole leaf red Virginia and strip the stems by hand. The tobacco is then cut into ribbons and cooked for two days according to our unique recipe to create our special red Virginia Cavendish. Then we infuse the tobacco while it's still hot with our secret flavoring to achieve the sublime sweetness, deep flavor, and delightful aroma that makes autumn evening so well-loved by our loyal customers and everyone around them as they enjoy this very special blend. Cornell & Deal Pipe Tobacco Company. It's a labor of love. Contact your local or online retailer for information.
0: We are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show answering your questions. That's right, me and uh, Rich Esserman, Doctor of Pipes, uh, Grand Poobah of the Pipes guys. He's he's the one that uh, counts the votes, so if you want to stuff the ballot, uh, you got to talk to Rich. Uh, Rich, here's a, uh, here's a question for you. Uh, so Chris writes in... Uh, he says, I've been buying a lot of tobacco, but do not get to smoke very often. Almost everything is still sealed in the tin. Is there a point in time where I should consider selling or giving them away so they do not go bad? Uh, and, <laughs> yeah. And then he says, thank you very much. And uh, thank you for hosting such a fine podcast. So he's easily pleased. But, um, all right. Yeah. And I'll, I'll jump in on this first and say, well, first of all, there's not, there's not enough information here quite for us to really determine this. Uh, but if they're aromatics or, you know, tobaccos that lend towards a flavoring, um, you know, you don't want to age them for too long, but let's just assume that they're non-aromatics. So you want to take a shot at answering it for them?
3: Yeah, I mean I would say, well, I wanna just go back to the aromatics piece. I there was one tobacco that I that I liked. Still like it's an old Ashton tobacco. It's like twenty seven years old now. It's Ashton type two. And it's a it's a it's a it's an English mixture, but they somehow mixed in orange. Orange flavor, you'd say, What the hell is it? But for some reason it just appealed to me and I and I use it. But as the years have gone by, that orange has sort of almost disappeared. You yeah. can sort of smell it when you open it up, but, you know, you can't really, you, you don't taste anything now. And, and so, you're. So again, with the aromatics, uh, I would say to you, give them to your friends, you know, or try to sell them if there's a new pipe show or something around, try to sell it. But if not, if it's a regular, if it's a straight Virginia or Virginia Perique, or an English mixture, a Balkan mixture, whatever you want to call them. Um, then you can keep them, assuming that you are keeping them in a place where, you know, the temperature doesn't fluctuate to go to hundred and go down to zero, and maybe the seals will pop. As long as the seals are good, you can keep that tobacco for for a long time. And it's weird because I have I have many old uh, Dunhill tobaccos from the seventies. And I had one from the 60s. But for the most part, the seals have hold, held, which I'm sure would surprise everybody who made that particular tobacco. <laughs> that after six years of tobacco, seal would hold. But once a tobacco seal breaks, it doesn't matter because it's going to go bad. Um, but but you should keep them. I mean, if they're, if they're regular, if they're uh, straight, for, straight up tobaccos with very little flavoring or no flavoring, they don't go bad.
0: With your 1980s, 1990s Dunhills and all the Balkan Saseen or Balkan Sabrani stuff, yeah, the stuff in the flat round cans that's just um, that's just vacuum sealed. Do you do anything special to those tins to help keep them sealed? Do you? uh, I I know some people that use uh, Food Saver bags and vacuum seal that over the tins. Yeah, I I use a little I use a little bit of of Saran wrap or you know plastic wrap to just overwrap them. Do you do anything to yours?
3: Uh, no, I don't. <laughs> I, I keep them upstairs. I have them in bins, and then uh, they're they're like uh, at the house temperature. And I I unfortunately uh, had a bunch, um, and I bought them from one guy, and they're all from the same batch of uh, old Dunghills and I would say about five or six of the tops. tops. On this particular brand it's the number 10 so uh, it's one of my favorites and they, they just and it's all with the same stamp it's from over in Europe and they just pop I have other ones that are from the same period and earlier and they they're good they don't pop they never pop so you can't really it, it's all about the seal yeah and you can't do anything to protect the seal you can put saran wrap is my opinion you can put saran wrap around it but if the seal goes and i don't know what the seals were made of then then the tobacco no matter what you do is going to go but what i try to do is when i pop it though i put the i put the when the tobacco seal the top is, is you can lift it off i try to keep the tobacco in a plastic bag in in the i take the tin, put it in the plastic bag because i want the tobacco to not Disintegrate, right. And what I do then is I take that and I talk to Mike McNeil about it, and he agrees with me. Um, that I mix it in with a with a with another tobacco that may be similar in taste. Mm-hmm. And that other tobacco, the oils in the other tobacco, which are good, then permeate, and and, and the other and the the dry tobacco now becomes good, becomes even better to smoke. It tastes good. It does lose its flavor. Like if you try to rehydrate, I guarantee you one thing, the flavor, the tobacco may look good, but the flavor is not going to be there.
0: Yeah. I inherited about uh, two pounds of 20 year old 5,100 that somebody that you and I both know um, overpacked into jars and, and stoved it in aging. I, when I mean he overpacked it into jars, I mean he packed it so tight that it needed a ice pick to loosen up the top and yes. and in aging it for about fifteen years, it had over it had stoved and turned black on him, and I inherited it from him because it was too spicy uh, for the last I don't know four years now i have been adding one pinch of that bone dry i let it all you know chipped it out of the jars let it all dry down completely i've been adding about a pinch of that to each tin of my acadian ribbon and it does two things uh one the older Acadian ribbon is getting a little on the mild side for me, so it adds a little bit of oomph to it because it's a little, because that 5100 that's now stoved is, you know, a little spicy. Um, or, you know, it has an extra little tang to it somewhere. Uh, but at the same time, because it's bone dry, and when I mean a pinch, I mean like three grams into 50 grams. Uh, mm-hmm that three grams of dry stuff into a freshly opened tin of tobacco and then i shake the tin up and let it sit for a couple of hours it helps dry down that over the stuff that's still a little too wet for me to smoke so
3: oh i agree i agree brian and i i do that all the time i there are some blends that you know you can't you open it up it's like it's wet and i have and i have like like i say so take the number 10 which is a sort of a heavier English, and I, and I open up another tin that's uh, in English, and it's too moist, I just mix it two. And right away, it, it's almost it's, it's smokable. Both both tobaccos are smokable. You, you see what I'm saying? Yeah. So I, I think using that, to me, like I say, I, I'm a firm believer in in augmenting blends. You know, I, Again, I won't go into detail about it. But I think that sometimes, as you say, uh, a blend can fade over time a little bit, just a little bit, Yeah. and it doesn't taste the way you want it to taste. And you add a little something, and all of a sudden, all the flavor pops back.
0: Yeah, and don't go into your blending of aged tobaccos or stuff because I'm just going to ridicule the crap out of you, and it's going to give uh-huh. me a, it, it's going to crack a rib or something, and I'm going to laugh. And but yeah, so the, so the basic answer to uh, yeah, here to Chris is, no, hang on to those tobaccos. Take good care of them. Keep them somewhere where they're air conditioned and heated, and keep an eye on them. You know, I'll every six months or so I'll go through all my tins and and see if anything see if anything's got a problem. I'll even go through my glass jars and make sure that the lids are tightened down still and see if there's any problems. Um, on a uh, you know on on a more serious note. I have always said that tobacco is never going to be cheaper than it is now. And it's never going to be more readily available than it is now. So what you have, you have, and don't give it up for any reason. Uh, you know, unless it's an aromatic, then you gotta, then you got a time frame on it really before it turns into something that you really don't want it to be. So that, that kind of sum up, uh, you know, the way, the way you feel too rich.
3: Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with that. I mean, look, it, I've had, you know, I I, uh, I, I I, I, heavily started to purchase, uh, you know, older tobacco in the late 90s, and I did it for about close to 15 years. And then I stopped. I had enough, you know, I still buy tobacco occasionally. But, I mean, that stuff, I, I'm not going to, you know, there's a couple. There are a couple uh, Brian uh, blends that I had. Like I said, they were worth so much money uh, in today's marketplace that I just decided I don't want to smoke them. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, the other stuff. Like I have a lot of stuff from the, what I love. is really Dunhill. The London store used to blend up your own tobaccos, and man, I tell you, some of the London store blends are just so terrific. And those pi- those things, I I hope you know, so I'll smoke them never sell them and they're just great yeah you know they form the basis of, of what I smoke
0: all right, all right let's jump on that because I don't think you and I you and I have discussed this privately but I don't think we've discussed this publicly um, you and I have both sent tins of tobacco off to Steve Fallon and you know on they go to wacky Waco Texas and then you know sometime later here comes a check. Uh, what is the process that goes? What, what's the process that goes through your head before you decide to send something off to uh, off to the world famous pipe stud?
3: Well, uh, good question. That's a that's a really good question, and um, you know, I've been I've been buying. I was buying a lot of stuff from Steve, and now I'm selling a lot of stuff to Steve, so he's getting <laughs> me both ways. And, um, you know, that's why he's, uh, that's why I'm his favorite customer now. <laughs> um, and so, but the thing is, you see, you know, I, I'll go through my tobacco. And what I'll do is like, I have, I, have, I still have a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of McClellan tobaccos. So I'm not even going to go into the older Dunhills yet. And I said to myself, you know, the prices have come down. But at one point they were very high, and I said, "You know, I mean, I, I have enough of, let's say, certain Virginias. The people were dying to get, so I'd send that down the steep, mm-hmm. and and then there was some Dunhills. Like I found that, of all the old Dunhills, for some reason the the thing I like the least now, for some reason, don't ask me why, London mixture is not a favorite now, hmm. but I love Dunhill medium." From the Murray days. I loved that. So I said, you know what? I don't I mean, if I smoke it, I smoke it. I'm gonna send those down. And they got some good money for it. And then there were some other older tobaccos that, that came in a four ounce tin. And I said, you know what? Uh, the way I mix and smoke tobaccos, the four ounce tin, I prefer a, you know, a hundred, I mean a, a fifty gram tin or or a two ouncer. And some of them brought in some huge money. And so what I did was, I kept that money and I didn't spend it. Put it off to the side because I knew that I heard I heard that you know Costello was making a giant sixty-five bend for their Pipe of the Year thing, and I wanted to have money so that it, when I when I wanted to go, and if I saw something really good, I could just buy it. I didn't have to worry about it. But my my whole theory is. There's some tobaccos, like I say, the London Surmichers. I'm not going to sell. I can get yeah. good money for them, 100 bucks a tin, 125 a tin. I'm not selling. Those are the things that I really, really like. Now, if I needed to come up with some big bucks, yes, I had a few tins of of Sobrani White, four ounce, 100 grams, pop tops, big money. I guess there are folks across the sea, who like these kind of things. Mm-hmm. And Steve said, "I said, Steve, what can what can I get for this?" He told me, and I said, "Okay," and I sent them down because to me, smoking the tobacco once it's over with, it's over. You know, if it lasts me a month or whatever. But the money I can use and get a pipe that I really wanted. So it's really a, it's really a matter of you know, what 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 is it that you really love? Versus what is it that you really, is too expensive versus, you know, what is it that you figure you can can sell without really hurting or damaging your collection? And I know guys, look at Brian, who say to me, I'd rather have a pipe than the tobacco. And I like the current tobaccos. And they have sent stuff down to Steve and they've gotten their money and they're happy. You know, they don't really care if it isn't a Dunhill from the 1970s or whatever. They don't, or 80s or 90s. They don't care. They like the
0: current stuff. So for them, it's an easy choice. Yeah. So the same, a similar process goes through my head like I do with my pipes where, you know, I kind of do a, I do a yearly or, you know, I don't know, semi biannual purge of pipes where I just go through all my pipes and I look at the ones that I've got and I, Wonder, you know, I, I smoke the ones that I haven't smoked in a while. And if they're just sitting there and there's no real strong, sentimental attachment to the pipe, then, you know, away it goes. Um, but I'll use the, the perfect example that I'll use is in 2009, I was working at smoking pipes and I was buying a Scudo and it was a Scudo from 08 and 09. Uh, and then a couple, I don't know, four or five years ago, I did that tasting. I did a, uh, a uh, uh, I did a tasting across a couple of different dates of a Scudo. And I found out that I really didn't like the current production of a Scudo, which I kind of date to like 2006 and till, you know, to now I don't like that after it's been aged for about five years. It just doesn't it doesn't have the perique in it that I'm sitting there craving uh, so I, so I looked at it and I said all right you know let me look at this stuff I had about 25 tins or so and I said yeah let me try a tin I opened it up and sure enough I was right and then I reached out to, to uh, the pipe stud and said what are these worth and I told him the dates on there and he said <laughs> and I said all right it'll be in the mail tomorrow um Then what I was able to do was turn around and buy some current production tobacco. So I averaged 550 gram tins for each 50 gram tin of escudo that I sent in, well, maybe four. So I quadrupled my quantity of tobacco on what I had in in scudo. I ended up getting four times more in current production stuff. And because I'm in the situation that I'm in, I'm able to let that stuff continue to age for a couple more years until I'm ready for it. Uh, so that was kind of a no brainer to me until it came to some of the really rare stuff that I have, like the white painted lid cans of a Scudo that go back to A&C Peterson days. So 99, 2000, 2001, uh, you know, I'd, I can't <laughs> I still can't part with the ones that I have. I don't have that many. Um, I can't part with them even though I know what they're worth. Uh there was some of the Christmas cheers that I was looking at that I said, "Why do I have these?" It's yeah, you know, I didn't have a whole bunch. I had like one or two of most years and I was looking at them going, "I really don't need that many Virginias." So I was able to sell those and buy more Virginia Pariques in current production. So it, for me, it was a balancing process and a way to increase current, yeah, you know, my current inventory and just let the stuff age. So that goes back to the question of, you know, aging tobacco. And yeah, I've got flat round tins that are just sitting in cabinets and in shelves and in boxes. And they're all here in the air conditioned and heated room, just sitting there waiting.
3: Yeah. I mean, I, and the other thing is, you know, like I say, there's you know i mean I, I can sell more tobaccos and eventually i'll probably sell a little more t- different things as as time comes up but you know there's a there's a few there's a few like uh Sullivan's, uh ox which is the original ox that tobacco is a tobacco that i have a few tins left i can get a lot of money for them i don't mix them they're oh, my boy. favorite of all the tobaccos, I don't blend them with anything. I just smoke them straight. Wow! And I and I and and the thing is, I should I you know should I sell? like what am I going to do with the money? That's like sometimes you know, uh, I I I have a say a pipe that's a valuable pipe. Someone says to me, oh you know you should sell that. You can make a lot of money. You paid X dollars. It's worth a million dollars. But then what am I going to do with the money? Hmm. I'm gonna be looking for another pipe just like the one I sold, you know. So so what I'm trying to say is the same thing with the tobacco. It's that same principle. Yeah. If you think you're gonna miss the tobacco, you know, don't sell it. Don't sell it. But I like I say a lot of guys and and people who are younger guys who have been in just in a hobby for five, ten years are always asking me, Are the new tobaccos as good as the old tobaccos and all this and I just when I started you could basically buy, you know, any 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 great tobacco you wanted. You just walk into a store and, and there it was. Dollar ninety eight, you know, two fifty <laughs> for a big tin. Maybe an eight ouncer was like four bucks. You know, it was tobacco. You know, and there was other older tobaccos that I couldn't get because they didn't exist. Like Shell mixture. Daniel Shell was a beautiful Virginia. It wasn't made, being made, so I, I'm sure that even in the 1970s, when I was buying great stuff, I missed a lot of things, you know. But there was tobacco, and then things changed, and you know I remember my friend John Loring, you know, talking about how we were the the big shock after 1980 when you went to buy a tin of gunhills. and it's changed dramatically from the from the before, when Murray's took it over, no one liked it, <laughs> and now I have a lot of Murray's tobaccos. I love them. I think they're great. You know, the same thing with some <laughs> of the Dunhill. and they were Dunhill tobaccos. They're now Peterson's. You know. Yeah. So, so it's really it's, it's a it's really a perspective type of thing, in my opinion.
0: Our our mutual <laughs> friend Mike Butera could not stand the A and C Peterson Escudo, and he had a whole bunch of Copes Escudo, and. Yeah, he ended up giving me a tin of copes of scudo to try. And I was like, well, that's nice, but it's not what I was used to. Um, Right. One, one quick question, and then I'll let you go. And this is again from Jason. Uh, And I don't know if this is quick, but try to do it quick. Uh, What do you think the current state of affairs of pipe shows are in particular Chicago and Vegas? As you know, I attended the NASPC show in 2021. It's my first show and I loved it. I understand the difficulties involved in hosting shows but if not much changes about the world in the next six months will there be a chicago or vegas show in 2022 can you have a group of people together smoking and will overseas carvers be involved there you go what do you Uh, what do you think because you organize a show
3: right i mean that's right now i'll be honest with you my show uh, my little New York pipe show, which I put on for 25 years, plus is, is right now is on hold because of really the COVID situation um, in terms of, you know, the, uh, some people are vaccinated, some people aren't vaccinated. Some people, you, know, you, want, you want to wear masks, you're not wearing masks. Yeah. So the whole thing that some people, you know, it's it just, it's a, it's a mess. Um, I know that that's the reason why there were rules and rights, and I know that's the reason why Las Vegas <laughs> I was not um, you know, put on because it was too much uncertainty yeah. at the time when you really had to make the final decision. I know that for a fact, I talked to one of the promoters of the show, the main promoter, that was his big reason for not wanting to do it, and I can understand it. Chicagoland is a little different. Chicagoland, um you have new folks who who are in the club who didn't run the show before, who are trying to put on the show. Um, I'm not sure of all the all the things involved in terms of the new Chicagoland. In the old days, of course, people who went to Chicagoland Pipe Show it was a complete and wonderful experience to go. It was put on by Frank Burrell initially, and then and then the other folks began to take it over. Craig, Bobine, and um, but then you know, Chicagoland was was attached to Pheasant Run. When you think of Chicagoland, you thought of Pheasant Run. You didn't. When you say you go to Chicagoland, you didn't say well where. Yeah. <laughs> and Pheasant Run, of course, closed down. They went out of business. Yeah. And so they have to have a new hotel, and they got to have different rules, and they're and they're smoking in the tent only, and there's no smoking in any room, at all, and and so on. So it's a it's a different it'll be a different experience. I know that they try to do it, the first year, when COVID hit, in 2020. And what happened is the hotel, um, there was rights for the county, and the hotel really didn't want to hold it. So they, they, the ordinance for the particular town, they got it. So you couldn't have any, any kind of large things until after the pipe show. They actually put the date in as May 5th. And, of course, the pipe show is being held May 3rd and 4th, which basically ended that. And then they try to do it again next last year. And this year, I think, they're trying to do it. I don't know the status of it. I think things really need to sort of settle down. I know, look, it depends on your risk profile. Yeah. I mean, you know, it really does. If you, if you, like, for me, I run the little show, my partner and I, Sam Burnett, no longer. Well, it's just to run the show. And it's just us. Mm -hmm. You know, there's no, like, well, big thing behind this and whatever it is. And you got to ask yourself, you know, does it make sense to do it? I'm still up in the air about it. I know that my wife, to be frank with you, doesn't particularly want me to do it. Because, again, she has a compromised immune system. And, um, you know, so do I want to have a pipe show? And then all of a sudden I come home with something and then she's got something. So it's that kind of attitude that people have in general. So there's some people who are just going to say we're doing it no matter what. doesn't matter. And others not. So that that's a very, very hard question. Assuming that we get, let's say, let's say they, they're developing these new kits. I don't want to get into it very much, but just to say you could take like a flu shot or, I mean, not a flu shot, but you could take some kind of pill at home to, to, uh, to help you get over. It. things might change, but until there's more certainty, I think pipe shows are going to be kidding this to be frank with you.
0: Yeah. And at the time we're recording this, it's early January. And the other thing that you got to remember with these pipe shows is somebody's signing these contracts with the hotels and with all the with all the stuff that goes on and somebody's on the hook for money and you know these these things aren't cheap to put on and you know i guess the you know the the best thing to do is just kind of play it by ear and wait and see and whatever shows we do have it depends on whether or not you want to go and you have to make your own personal decision for that
3: Yep, I agree with that. You know, and the thing is, though, there's still a lot of activity online, and there's a lot of activity, you know, with the, with the updates. So you can still buy good pipes, good tobaccos. Even though we're not at pipe shows, I, I I love to meet up with my friends and meet new people at pipe shows. That's Again, I can go on for an hour about pipe shows because they're just wonderful places to be at. Yeah, you know, you with your you with your old friends, new friends, just people walking around. And everybody's interested in pipes and tobaccos and whatever. smoke a cigar every now and then, you know that kind of thing. It, it, you, know, you can't. You, there's no at other atmosphere that you're going to find that in. So that that's the unless you have. You you might even have a. I would say take a look to see if you have a pipe club in your area. Who is meeting? I know some of the pipe clubs have started to meet again. Yeah. It's also, it's on a pipe show, but still you're with buddies. You can talk about pipes, maybe do some swapping, trading, whatever it is, smokeable. So, you know, there are alternatives.
0: And there's always this little podcast. And, uh, Rich, thanks for coming on. Thanks for doing this. Happy New Year.
3: Brian, Happy New Year to you and every all the listeners out there. And, um, like I said, I hope uh, 2022 turns out to be a really great year. Or at least better than the other years, and um, hope to come back on again. So again, send your questions in, whatever it is. You know, I thought you were going to ask me some uh, some uh, uh, questions about about other things, like like you know, but I, but I, I guess not. These uh, actually, I, I enjoyed this very much.
0: Yeah, no nobody wants your nobody wants your personal grooming hi, your personal grooming and hygiene routine, and we don't want to take oh, fashion man. advice from you
3: <laughs> I figure look it, they look at me and they, they see my shot and they say, that guy is so handsome you know it wouldn't matter what he said <laughs> on I that,
0: that <laughs> uh, on that note, thanks, rich. We'll be back in just a minute
1: Have a look in your tobacco cellar. What do you see? Think of what you smoke, what you age, what you're drawn to in a blend that keeps you wanting more. That's your taste, and whether you know it or not, you've been leading that expedition since you first picked up a pipe, just by smoking what you like and liking what you smoke. But the funny thing about taste, it changes, and you need a wide selection to accommodate it. We at Smoking Pipes know this, And you know it too. So whether you're searching for a tried and true favorite or a singular boutique mixture, we're here to help you navigate the voyage of your evolving tastes. But you're still at the helm. Smoking pipes in faithful service of the hobby.
0: This is Internet Radio and thanks again to rich for jumping in and helping me out here uh remember if you have a subject that you would like rich and i to cover please email that to me brian at pipesmagazine.com same thing with uh questions for jeremy or uh jeff gracek so i've got all these all these fine folks that you can ask questions of send those in to me brian at pipesmagazine.com all right for music uh recommended a while back by uh pastor joda this is uh this is one i hadn't heard before but it's uh wynton marsalis doing my absolute favorite disney song it's when you wish upon a star and that is Wynton Marsalis on trumpet from his album Hot House Flowers Doing the uh, Disney classic, When You Wish Upon a Star. There is a message for you. And remember, if you have a comment or question, you can email it to me, Brian, at PipesMagazine.com or go on to the Pipes Magazine radio show on Pipes Magazine and post it there. Uh, Going back to last week's show, Dino says, I've heard Rich talk about big pipes before, but your conversation put this all nicely into perspective. Good job. Your conversations with Rich are always a treat. I look forward to many more. I'm so glad you mitigated that uh, carol from Bad Religion with one of my favorite Christmas performances. That's how you rock Christmas. Uh, For a guy who assembles a very entertaining show each week, I'm shocked, shocked that you are averse to assembling things. Thank you for going against your aversions to provide us with this wonderful construction. Happy New Year to you, your family, and all your listeners, Dino. Thanks, Dino. Yeah, I'll, I'll keep I'll keep constructing and assembling. Uh, don't mind. I don't mind doing the show. Not so much Legos or Ikea. Uh, Casey Go says, and uh, welcome back, Dan. Uh, another enjoyable show. Dan Tobacco's Hamburger Veermaster, Veermaster sounded interesting, but we won't be seeing it anytime soon. Uh, you and Rich's conversations get better every time. Very enjoyable and totally informative. Now the music. I'm writing this several days afterwards, so I may be wrong on which one was which, but as I recall, the first one was tolerable, the second one was not. Uh, One can only guess which one was tolerable and which one was not, but uh, good to have you back. Uh, And then uh, catching up, Al writes, "Uh, I really enjoyed uh, episode 484. In fact, I'm listening to it for the third time. I especially enjoyed Jeremy's explanation of sugar levels in tobacco while growing and curing it. Sandy soil, watering temps during the cure, etc. I'm only back to episode 378, so maybe you have already had a master home gardener on. But if not, it's an idea for content. DIY growing and curing pipe tobacco. Cheers, Al. Uh, Al, I'm working on something for that because that's been a question that's come up a couple times recently. And um, I'm I'm working on an idea for that if we can legally do it. All right, again, comments, questions, email me, brian at pipesmagazine.com. And uh, rant time's coming up next. is complete yeah all the updating of equipment has been done and it was forced on me on uh, New Year's Eve when my iPhone 8 plus decided that um, it was only gonna stay on for maybe 10 minutes of use and then it was gonna shut off so time for the upgrade right all right I got almost four years out of it and here's my thought process as I was grumbling to myself why the hell am I gonna spend uh, after the rebate and the little refund thingy and uh, whatever for a brand new iPhone 13 Pro Max GB whatever 512 gigabits and all that stuff. Why the hell am I going to spend that much money for that? Well, here's why. Because my phone that I just retired got me almost four years of daily use. That includes being used as Uh, as a web surfing device email device camera videos uh listening to music listening to podcasts, watching videos on it it's an entertainment system it's a navigator it's everything all in one and I can carry it with me so for an average of uh I don't know $200 a year because I think it cost me $800 Uh, you know that's not a bad deal and now this one's got even more gigabits on it and does more fancy stuff so I had to get over myself and say all right you know for an average of maybe I can get four years out of this one too and for $250 a year I've got even more capacity than I'll ever know what to do with or need with but um, yeah maybe I'll take some prettier pictures now and some prettier videos and post those on social medias and be all like the cool kids and uh, hip instagrammers but now, in reality, for what I do and for the traveling that we do and all that stuff, small price to pay for a device that does all that for you. So, get over yourself, me. Alright, there you go. Thank you. And remember, I'm the leading expert on me and my own opinion and... Um, Yeah. All right. uh, Thank you to Jeremy for joining me. Thank you to Rich for jumping in. Thank you all for tuning in. And until next time.
1: Bom-ba-dee-da. He's flying to bed.
2: Who cares about the clouds when we're together?
1: Just ah. sing a song and think about sunny
2: weather. Happy. Train-
0: Again. <laughs> that big pipe guy can talk the ears off an elephant.